0: Hi, everyone, welcome back to the Iris Pod. And today I'm delighted to be joined all the way from the US, Laurel Farr, who is an expert on all things home and remote working. And you've uh, recently published a white paper all about inclusivity and local uh, location-independent workplaces. Laurel, thank you for joining the Iris Pod. It's great to meet you. Tell us a little bit in your own words about you, about your expertise, and why this is such an important area for us to focus on.
1: Absolutely, I'm happy to. So I have been building remote and hybrid and virtual-first organizations for 15 years. So as an operations manager, it was something that I leveraged early in my career as a business strategy to help keep costs low and talent attraction really high. And so with every job that I had and every company that I advised and consulted, this was my first go-to strategy because it really fulfilled the objectives of the operations department. So as it started becoming more and more popular and I started getting more and more questions about how I minimized and optimized the costs of all of the organizations that I worked with. I eventually became an independent consultant in 2016. And after a few years of um, of being uh, an independent, I expanded our services into what is now called distribute consulting. And we are a firm specializing exclusively in remote work and virtual
0: organizational development. So you were at the very forefront of embracing hybrid working before it was cool and probably while it was incredibly terrifying for business (laughs) leaders because i actually think this is a challenge more from leadership and management um Mm -hmm. really more than anything else Uh, but you were right there innovating
1: So I need to give credit where credit is due. Teleworking has been around since the 1970s, so it's I'm definitely not a pioneer of the concept in general. Um, however, what I do like to think that I had a part in building was the work from anywhere revolution, right? This is uh, about 15 years ago when I got into it was when mobility of technology really came into play and became accessible to the masses. And so we didn't have to be hardwired into a home office anymore. We We could work from wherever our Blackberry was. Those were the days when we had a Blackberry. Blackberry. I know, right? Like it was, I can't even tell you what that was like the days that we got a Blackberry and suddenly we truly were mobile professionals. So yes, that that is where we came from was building on the foundation that teleworking built and then really taking this into the concept of now that we can work from anywhere, how do we use that as a business strategy to revolutionize the future of work and to build full organizations that leverage this concept at scale in order to attract very, very diverse talent um, and to capitalize in markets that they wouldn't otherwise have geographic reach to.
0: I miss that little click wheel on the corner of the, you've just given me nostalgia of that little wheel on the top of the the (laughs) blackberry. Blackberry. Uh, It was like a block. (laughs)
1: <laughs> well, and it's a throwback too. when when I start talking about, you know, what, I'm you know, virtual collaboration was like, back in the day when I got started. I mean, 15 years ago does not feel that long ago. But if you think about it in terms of technology, we didn't have cloud documents. We didn't have video calls. We didn't have any of that. We didn't even have Mobile accessible email at that time. So it was a very, very different way of working, but it really proved the case that remote work is not about where we're working. It's really about how we're working. It's really a different type of organizational behavior that enables location irrelevancy as opposed to starting with the location irrelevancy and then trying to work in a way that adapts to
0: it. One of the things that I certainly felt. And I don't want to turn this into yet another podcast about um, COVID uh, <laughs> and and the, the pandemic um, and lockdowns. One of the things that I noticed, and I guess I was already kind of like this, but it was more acute. The technology is great. It enables us to do things remotely, virtually while on the move uh, and be super productive in that way. Do that quick answer to an email or, or organize a meeting in the evening before the next day but what i found a real struggle was when is the cutoff and technology has almost been an invasion into our personal space what about the flip side of it in that sense from a well-being perspective and making sure that you really kind of cut off at a certain point in time
1: yeah well it's impossible to have this conversation without addressing the impacts of the pandemic on remote working. So yes, remote workers are always at more of a risk for burnout because of that always on mentality. However, when we come into the framework of a virtual first organization with preparation and intention, we can prevent that from happening. We build very clear systems that create boundaries between your personal life and your professional life to prevent that burnout from happening and to to address the issues of psychological safety that fuel people to keep working even though they're outside of business hours. So that didn't, it used to happen prior to the pandemic, but not nearly as much as during the pandemic. And that's because there was a whole lot of psychological Unsafety going on, right? We were stressed all the time. We were bored out of our minds because we couldn't leave our house. So what else is there to do other than working? You know, like there's just so many factors. We were feeling isolated from our primary social circle, which happened to be in the office prior to the pandemic. And so we wanted to stay connected to anybody that was human and that happened to be our workers um, based on our, our context. And so there was so many factors that came into that that. So it's really important to understand that what people have been experiencing for the past two years during the pandemic is not remote work at all. And any thought leader that you talk to will reiterate that over and over and over. This was stressful and atypical and foreign for us as well, even those of us that have worked this way for decades. What was different is that we were all stressed. We were all burned out. We were all isolated. And that was Just dependent on the pandemic. So what we were experiencing was a workplace contingency plan that was designed to address an international catastrophe. It was not remote working and it certainly was not virtual first best practices, not in any stretch of the imagination. That has not even started. So as people are able to work more mobily again and are able to have more control over their personal and professional lives, we will start to see remote working with much, much more intentional design and therefore much more well-being.
0: So what does that look like? Um, you know, I think one of the interesting insights certainly that we feel as a, as a company that's growing is there's this thing going on that's called the Great Resignation and it's really, um, it's a candidate's market at the minute, you know, the, the demand for talent and and um, capabilities and experience to bring in and, and help grow your business is has never been more uh, real. But also the demands for that flexibility have never been more um, obvious. Um, what do you see as the framework and this kind of balance now that we are returning to the workplace? Um, lay out a kind of vision for us of how this is going to be constructed.
1: Yeah, well, to see the full vision, we actually need to start looking at this the data prior to the pandemic, um, because that's a very a common narrative and a a common misunderstanding is that the employees are driving this change. However, if we look at the data, um, especially from Global Workplace Analytics, which was the primary source of data about remote working prior to the pandemic, um, the the numbers then were that about 86% of the United States workforce wanted to work remotely more regularly, at least part-time, 86%. Now, during the pandemic and even into the endemic stage, 83% of the United States workforce wants to work remotely. So that the the, the employee demand for workplace flexibility has actually decreased over time. What has changed, therefore, is not the workforce demand. It's the workforce negotiation power. It's the, the ability for them to negotiate with their employers to say, hey, look, I Can prove that this is possible. All of the excuses that you had before about not letting me work remotely or why it wasn't possible for the company, those have just been voided. So now, therefore, what is your excuse? What what reasons can you possibly give to me as a worker that shows that this is not possible long-term? So it's really what needs to continue happening is the leadership resistance will continue Continue to change. The leadership resistance is what has been the, the barrier to success and the barrier to adoption all along. So that's what we will continue to change. And the more that we can focus on that, the more sustainable this will be as the work place trend and not not necessarily the executives. Most people think that it's the executives that are resisting this. It's not. Executives have been remote workers for a long time. They're like, oh yeah, I'm always going to clients sites and, and events so and true. speaking engagements. Like, oh yeah. I am a remote worker. Like They get it very early. It's the mid-level managers that provide all of the resistance because previously and historically, their jobs have been very, very location dependent. They have physically been supervising the production of work. And so in a new environment, they feel very unsure about what their primary objectives and key performance indicators should
0: be. That's brilliant. I can't believe the stat has gone down from 86% to eighty-two. That three percent of people have had enough of their families <laughs> they wanted to, I demand to go back to the office
1: yeah well and even like some of those numbers are even coming in lower because because of what we just talked about right That people are like oh this this is remote working this is terrible i don't want to do this anymore and those of us that are you know veteran advocates we're like this is not remote working so give
0: it a chance again
1: um after things are stabilized and very carefully designed and they'll have a much different experience
0: that's brilliant um we actually we were speaking to someone on the on the podcast a few weeks ago from a company called near you that does um kind of Uh, it's Airbnb, but for meeting rooms and and so forth. And um, he he made a really strong point around choosing your location to work on any any given day based on actually what it is that you need to get done. And he was saying, you know, before he was turning up to the office at 8.30 or whatever, opening his laptop, starting to work, literally only interacting with people because it was a chat and then closing the laptop at the end of the day and commuting home. And it was an hour commute each way. What was the point of being in the office? And I think, I think that's probably the maturity um, that we maybe are are entering into this idea that let's just optimize workplace based on what we need to get done that day.
1: Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. And taking that way outside the conversation of should you be in HQ office or should you be in home office? Um, This is another reinforcement of the concept of why remote working was hard during the pandemic, even for those of us that are veterans, is because we've leveraged a lot of different locations to fuel different types of results. Um, We capitalize on our environment and very strategically choose our environment in order to fuel different outcomes. So for example, a typical day for me would be, um, I need to get some writing and and deep strategy work done. I'm going to go to the library where it's very quiet and I'm not going to be interrupted. Um, Then I'm going to have a bunch of video calls and interviews that's going to be in my home office where the setup is better. Um, with audiovisual, and then I'm going to have some client calls and so I'm going to go you know somewhere else and then I'm going to go somewhere else for some casual asynchronous work like we were truly mobile workers and and we didn't have that opportunity during the pandemic either. So, yeah, it's a the work from anywhere did not exist for the past two years. And that's what we'll start to see a lot more of is how do we not just work from different environments, but leverage different environments to optimize different outcomes?
0: Yeah, I love that. I absolutely love that. And um, yeah, it's it's nice to change your scenery can change your kind of I don't know your neurons firing in some way and um and get get a bit of you know productivity by just changing that that viewpoint that you have in terms of um in terms of people that have um maybe some disabilities or you know a sensory um a condition where the environment both in terms of accessibility but also then the ambience the overload that's around you or indeed on the flip side of that the isolation if you're if you're on your own and that's something you struggle with um how important is that for employers teams to really understand and therefore build environments that are optimized for people with those sorts of conditions
1: yeah i mean diversity and inclusion is (laughs) always needs more attention Period. Um, so when we are in a new work environment, it gives us this opportunity to see things in a new light and with a fresh start. On one side, we can see how equalizing the work environment and reducing traditionally uh, prohibitive factors like the ability to, you know, equally see and, and ADA compliance, like are is this in a wheelchair accessible building? And and can everybody see me equally and hear me equally like in a conference room? It allows us to start fresh and to say, okay, this is a very flattened and equalized digital and virtual environment. And this is a great opportunity for us as um, more traditional professionals to have some empathy for how hard it is to, to adapt to new environments, right? Like, oh, I, I'm, this is a hybrid team and he's talking to somebody that I can't see on camera and that's frustrating for me and that is inhibiting my ability to be productive equally to him. Um, and so there's, there's that level of empathy, but then we can't just assume, okay, well then this, if we're in a virtual and digital environment, then everybody's employee experience is equal. It's not at all. So as hard as it is for us as um, traditional professionals to see and hear everybody equally and share information equally, it's even harder for those with disabilities. So we have to really think and rethink about how we are considering diversity, equity, and inclusion in a new virtual-first environment. So equity is not just between you know, traditional minority subsets and demographics, but it's also now remote workers could be a minority in your team and they could also be blocked from um, promotions and uh, equal earning just like non, uh, like traditional demographics, minorities were before. Um, We need to think about the uh, compliance of accessibility accommodations. Like can everybody see and hear everybody else equally just because we're on a video call it does not mean that that's equal. So we need to make sure that our technology facilitates subtitles and translations and, and transcriptions equally for those that maybe are hearing or visual impaired. There's just so many other layers that we need to consider about how do we need to update occupational health, safety, and inclusion for a virtual environment in addition to a physical environment. It's a whole new concept that has not existed before at scale.
0: And technology, um, how how can technology help, Uh, you know, obviously we're able to have this conversation virtually through the power of Zoom, um, but what other technologies are out there that can really help us level the playing field, um, and not only that, but be productive in, in the workplace with teams that are in disparate locations?
1: I think the most common case study of that that people love to talk about that's getting a lot of attention right now is the power and impact of asynchronous communication on workplace and workforce diversity. So traditionally in uh, management capacities in an office, a lot of people were really concerned about, oh, how do I balance the introverts and the extroverts in meetings and in conversations? And, and you know, we can't really hire for neurodiversity neuro- because I need spontaneous thinkers that are good with quick thinking on their feet. Um, And so because all of us were locked into sharing the same time and same location, it really limited our ability to hire diversely. But now when we're using digital first communication and we're using written messages um, before synchronous messages, like synchronous calls, like this one, it really levels that playing field because it allows introverts and extroverts to have equal voices and to, you know, the, the the messaging and the importance of a message from an extrovert is very equally measured and has the same words and the same font as somebody from an introvert, as the message from an introvert. And then same thing with uh, neurodiversity, somebody that may need more or less processing time to understand the context of a conversation can take as much time as they need as they are reading all of those messages and and catching up on threads. Um, So it really can be much, much more inclusive work environment to give people the flexibility, not just where to work, but again, how they're working in a way that is best suited to their strengths, talents, and abilities.
0: Yeah, I think it's, um, we've seen that level of, of technology empowering businesses smaller businesses start up businesses to to compete more readily with you know larger global enterprise level businesses and that's been a great leveler but then within the organization itself how is it a, a leveler there's there's a lot to win there's a lot to win through that um I guess just to flip it on on to the other side is is there a bit of an overload maybe of of technology and products and things that pertain to improve our ability to work in this fashion, um, you know, I, I can't. Uh, I get a bit overwhelmed, to be honest with you, with the latest you know channel that I can do an interaction with a virtual team member via. I'm like, I, Slack for me is just another place that I can ignore um, seven million messages that I get a day. Um, what about the flip of it? Is is it a bit too much for us to really contend with all of this stuff?
1: It can be absolutely if you if you are not coming into it with enough intention, like we talked about, then absolutely, it's going to be much less productive than uh, rather than more productive. So, yes, again, it's about coming into this with intention. Um, So the reason typically that that is happening is because um, we are conditioned as international professionals to work in conditioned environments so we are told to be in a certain place and we show up and somebody will show up and tell us what to do and then we do that like everything that we do in an office environment is traditionally very reactive so we wait for further instruction and then we do what we are told In virtual environments, it's much, much, much different. And this is a very big uh, way of working change that needs to happen in order for people to feel like they are thriving in a virtual first environment is we need to switch out of the context of reactive working into proactive working. We need to be self managers in order to be effective. So if something's not working for us, we don't sit at our desk, looking frustrated, waiting for the manager to come by and say, what's wrong? What's blocked? What can I do to help you? That's that's reactive. And that's not going to be the, the right solution. Instead, we have to be proactive. And that means being a self-manager in all aspects of our employee experience. So what do we need in order to be successful. We need to be in control of our time and our tasks and our energy. We need to be intrinsically motivated. We need to be responsible for setting notifications on Slack or Microsoft Teams to identify that we are only getting the messages that we need and that are relevant to us. We need to time block our schedules so that we are Uh, only responding to messages in an efficient way and not being interrupted throughout our day. We need to talk to our team members about things that are not working in this virtual first environment and problem solve them together. Like we are the ones responsible for initiating the change as opposed to waiting for HR or a manager to solve the problems for us. Work still needs to be managed. And so if you don't have a manager, managers sitting a few feet away, watching over your shoulder, making sure that you're staying productive, that now falls on you.
0: Yeah. You've, you, a lot of what you've just spoken about, their skills. Are we gearing ourselves up for the future generation by teaching these fundamental skills? Because that's a big shift for people that have not worked in those ways, but also been in education with those kinds of... Um, those kinds of environments and, you know, they're skills that we need to to learn and then develop. Do you see it all the way back to to kind of education uh, and and it being addressed through those routes so that people are prepared for this this, uh, new way of working?
1: Absolutely. This is why an emotional intelligence is such a critical branch of the future of work, is for exactly this reason. In fact, there was a researcher, her name is Dr. Roberta Sawatsky. She's from the Okanagan College of Business in Canada. And several years ago, she researched what the critical skills for the future of work, specifically for workplace flexibility, are. And it's everything that we're just talking about. Accountability, critical thinking, empathy, all of those are so much more important in the future of work than they have been in traditional environments because of that self-management aspect Um, and so yes if we are working in educational environments both primary and secondary um, and even onboarding programs that are teaching our employees and professionals to be reactive and to wait for further instructions they will not be successful in the future of work so that's something that we really enjoy doing at Distribute is helping rethink the academic world to think to um, to teach new methods, communication channels, tools, and especially um, new ways of delivering assignments in a way that will increase the independence of the students.
0: In terms of um, the environment itself, just to just to talk um, in the context of many of the people that will be listening, obviously of uh, maybe customers or people that have tried our, our product, Iris Clarity, that that solves the problem of background noise. How important is the environment to optimize that? You know, you've got your nice plants there and you know, if, uh, an environment that you feel safe and comfortable to be productive in. Um, how can we make sure that the, the environment, wherever we may be, is right, optimized, and maybe leverage technologies to help us overcome challenges that those environments may present to us?
1: Mm-hmm. You know, it's a, another common misunderstanding about remote work is that work from anywhere means working in any way that you see fit, um, wearing anything that you want, going anywhere that you want, being in any conditions that you want, and that is just not the case. We still, as employers, have the responsibility to maintain work environments for our employees that that support their mental, emotional, and physical health, and So, uh, we need to be involved in their selection of work environments in some ways. Now, we don't necessarily need to micromanage and say, well, you can only work in a dedicated and exclusive room with this this equipment um, unless it is relevant to industry compliance or something like that, we don't need to get involved in that level, but we do need to make sure that people are working in environments that will help stabilize and standardize their productivity and performance. So if one of your employees is working in, you know, a grocery store sitting in the aisle of a grocery store, which I have actually done before. So that's not a crazy, crazy example. Like um, if somebody is working in that environment and poaching Wi-Fi off of the Starbucks, that's closed and and hasn't opened yet. And then somebody else is uh, working in a dedicated home office with state of the art equipment and perfectly quiet environment. Those employees are not going to be able to perform equally. And, uh, and that has nothing to do with their quality qualifications or capabilities. So we do need to be more involved as employers to say, what are your working conditions? What are your background environments like? Do you have childcare? What speed of internet are you working on? Um, How many screens do you have? Like talking about all of the work environments that they access as a mobile professional and making sure that all of them support their professional capabilities.
0: Yeah, absolutely, um, we, talk, we, we talk about bringing control to the uncontrollable environment and that being an important factor in how we portray a professionalism, um, but also ultimately it's all about the communication between two or more people, um, making sure that that has focus and productivity and, uh, and, and getting what you need to get done done um, and anything that can help us achieve that and attain that that leveling of the playing field is is, is really going to transform our ability to be productive. Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
1: Yeah, I, I like to say that in remote work over communication, is just communication. We don't have contextual cues. We don't have environmental context. We don't have um, body language as much. We, we are missing 70% of what we use for communication in an in-person environment. We are missing 70% of that. So anything that we can do to make both our synchronous and asynchronous messages more transparent, more frequent, more consistent, um, then therefore our collaboration as teams will be much, much more successful.
0: Laurel, thank you so much for this time. Um, I really enjoyed the conversation in terms of people that may be listening in uh, and the work that you do with, with distribute, um, you know, the, might be fascinated, it might be a challenge that they're going through right now to really optimize this. How can people get in touch with you? Where can they connect to discover more about what you can do to help them?
1: Absolutely. Well, if they're an organization that is looking to convert or optimize their operational model from physical to virtual, and they're looking for change management consultants, then it's best to contact our consulting firm, which is distributeconsulting.com. Or if they're looking to connect with me individually as an advocate and thought leader, um, and just to brainstorm what the future of work looks like, they're more than welcome to find me on LinkedIn. I'm sure links will be included in the show
0: notes. Yes, they will. And thank you so much. I'll be connecting and continuing this conversation with you. It's an area that we feel incredibly passionate about, and I think uh, it's the future. So um, really big support of everything that you're doing and look forward to staying in touch.
1: Wonderful. Thank you so much, Tom. It was a pleasure to meet you.
0: Thanks, Laura.